Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow Fantasy 15 edition. Again, I will try to keep it to 15 minutes. It's a goal. The main point, though, we're going to keep it moving. We don't want to keep you here for like an hour talking about matchup plays this week, which of course means that we will not hit all of them. And if there's one in particular that you are interested in that I don't touch on here, go ahead and shoot me a message on Twitter or Instagram and I'll try to help you out. But for now, I'm going to run through the guys who stand out the most to me this week at the four main position groups. With this in mind, the games that are expected to see the most scoring are Jacksonville, Kansas City at 50 and a half points, Cleveland, Miami at 49 points, and Lions and Bears at 48.5. Who would have thought um, two months ago that that was a game that we were going to be highlighting in this category? But the defense has been so bad, and the offenses have been able to take advantage. So there's a lot of fantasy stuff to talk about in that game there. The only other game over 45 points is Chargers Niners at 45 and a half. So Vegas is expecting lower scoring games this week. They're also expecting the Bucks to beat the Seahawks. I highly disagree with that. So maybe they'll be wrong about some of these totals too. But I think that these totals are useful to use when making fantasy decisions where scoring is obviously a big part of the goal. So remember that Seahawks Bucks game that I mentioned is a very early start on Sunday in Munich. This week, a 9.30 a.m. Eastern start. So you'll want to make sure that you've set your lineups the nights before or you get up real early to make sure that you don't miss anything. After that, though, it's seven games in the early window, three in the afternoon. We've got Chargers and Niners on Sunday night football and Commanders Eagles on Monday night. Ravens, Bengals, Patriots, and Jets are all off on a bye week this week. So let's get going and break the huddle. All right, taking a look at the quarterbacks first, I think Mahomes versus Jacksonville at $7,900 on DraftKings is the safest play on the slate in the game with, as I just mentioned, the highest point total of the week. You could stack him with Juju or Kelsey, though the latter is tougher financially. I actually don't hate the other quarterback in this matchup either, though. He's priced a lot lower at $5,400. I know I talked up Trevor Lawrence last week, and it didn't really get there. But for season-long purposes, it wasn't bad either. 16.7 points, that was enough for a QB 11 finish. I think we can expect something in that range again this week against a Kansas City defense that prior to facing Malik Willis last week, who didn't throw the ball at all, had allowed four straight top 10 quarterback finishes to Josh Allen, 26, but also to Garoppolo, who scored 16, Carr, who scored 17 in week five, and Brady, who scored 25 points in week four. That was his best game of the year. Also with Lawrence, his price is so low that you could stack him with Kirk and then on the other side, come back with Kelsey, who I am more intrigued by this week than I usually am at tight end because I feel like he's one of the only surefire tight ends on the slate, but we'll get to that position a little bit later. For DFS purposes, I think my favorite play this week is Justin Fields at $6,500. His price is way up from last week when he was a steal at $5,300. Frankly, I still think there's value there with five guys priced higher than him. Remember, he's been a top five guy for three straight weeks, the only quarterback in the NFL that can say that. And his matchup this week is insane against Detroit, which is allowing the third most fantasy points to quarterbacks. Tua at $6,700, I think it's a good matchup for Tua 
and his playmakers against Cleveland uh, because they're one of the worst teams in the league at defending the deep ball. They're 29th in passer rating allowed on throws of 20 yards or more. They're 31st in yards per attempt allowed on those plays. Their explosive pass play rate allowed is uh, 51.8. That ranks 28th. Tua, on the other side, is first or second in the league in all of those deep ball metrics. So... Um, I, I like the matchup. His name's coming up for MVP. I feel like the narrative sort of pivoted this week. I don't necessarily see that, and I can get into that at a later date, maybe on Monday or Wednesday's episode next week, but the numbers are certainly good. He's one of the top three quarterbacks in expected points added per play and PFF offensive grades. Um, it's him, it's Josh Allen, and it's Mahomes. The other quarterbacks that are playing notably well in both of those categories are Hertz and Geno. So Geno is also uh, in this conversation and deserves to be there. It's not fluky what we're seeing from him. Uh, Tua also number one in clean pocket efficiency and top five in under pressure efficiency. Um, also, I want to say, when we were drafting for fantasy, there was a question that I heard a lot when talking about Hill and Waddle's value. Can we really expect Tua to support two top 20 wide receivers? Because that's where they were in terms of ADP. And the only other teams that had multiple wide receivers that were going in that range were the Bengals and Chargers, who we all agreed had better quarterbacks. Well, the Chargers obviously have dealt with some injury issues. That's a different story. But uh, the answer to Tua and can he support two is a resounding yes. Hill and Waddle are wide receiver one and five on the year so far. Cincinnati is actually supporting three top 20 receivers. Chase is eight on the year. Boyd is 14 and Higgins is 17. And guess which other team has two guys in the top 20? Seattle. Lockett and DK are nine and 18 with Geno at quarterback. I'm a little bit concerned about Kyler Murray this week for the Cardinals. <clears throat> First of all, the hamstring. We don't know where we stand with that. Uh, also, though, the matchup. So he is 1-6 and six all time against the Rams. He averages 14.3 points per game against them. He had his worst fantasy outing of the year in week three when he played against them, 13 points. Also, last week, he was awful in that game. He was the second lowest graded quarterback of week nine, according to PFF, below Sam Ellinger and ahead of only PJ Walker. So <clears throat> I have concerns. I'm not sitting him in season long unless maybe I have, you know, Justin Fields, in which case I'm trying to trade Kyler Murray frantically. But my expectations are certainly lowered for Kyler this week, and I'm a little bit scared then he might crush me. And I'm definitely not paying for him in dailies, the third most expensive on the slate at $7,200. By the way, did you see that clip from the um, sideline of last week's game where D-Hop walks over to him after they have a miscommunication of some sort, an unsuccessful play, and he just goes at him like, what are you looking at? <laughs> and Kyler fires back as he is prone to do, but it's just not going well in Arizona in so many different ways. And we've talked about that earlier this week, so I'm not going to get into it anymore. Um, Aaron Rodgers versus Dallas is another guy that I am concerned about. I don't even know if I need to say this anymore. Like we're all off Aaron Rodgers, right? But this week, the Cowboys pressure rate is by far the highest in the league. Meanwhile, the Packers are already operating like a team that can't handle pressure. They're getting the ball out so fast. He has the lowest time to throw 
in the league, like Ben Roethlisberger last few years of his career fast, and his efficiency in those situations is worse than Ben's was. So, mm, it's so much badness there in Green Bay. It just blows the mind. I got a gut call this week. And I can't back it up with stats. I don't have like anything fancy that says like, hey, roll it out. This is, but in, gosh, I think it might be two of my season long leagues. I picked up off the waiver wire and I'm going to start Russell Wilson. And you guys know how I feel about this. I don't think that his play in the first half of the season in Denver is fluky. I don't think that he is as good as we have historically thought him to be anymore for whatever reason, but on the waiver wire um, and when you need somebody in a pinch, I feel like Russell Wilson is the guy who has like, I mean, would any of us be surprised if he scored 27 fantasy points this week against Tennessee, which the, by the way, the defense is totally just banged up, but I wouldn't be. So I have a gut feeling about Russell Wilson and I just want to put it out there and he'll probably put up like eight fantasy points. But if he scores 27, I just want to have said it <laughs> uh, from a running back standpoint. Uh, you want to get up to Saquon this week, but it's hard. He is so expensive. He's $8,600. You guys, this matchup is gold against Houston. I expect him to be one of the top running backs of the weeks, but I'm having a hard time getting him in my daily lineups. Um, CMC is not on the main slate, but he also has a great matchup against the Chargers. He ranked 31st in run D DVOA and DVOA on passes to running backs coming out of the backfield. This has CMC's name written all over it. As for the main slate, I kind of like Camara at the price point that he's at, $7,400 against Pittsburgh with a 22% target share. His ceiling is always really high. He is going to see TJ Watt this week. He'll be back for the Steelers, and that is not ideal, but Camara can always get you there. Etienne's becoming a guy who can get you there consistently, too. I'm a little concerned that he could get scripted out against the Chiefs to a degree, but he has been just so consistent in every facet of his game turning into one of the best running backs in the league. And I think you, I mean, you got to play him, but also the value is there in daily at $7,100. And can we talk about how AJ Dillon is next on the board in pricing at $6,700? What are we doing here? Someone needs to adjust. He's more expensive than Pollard, who, by the way, I would have very much liked this week if Zeke was out, but Zeke is not out. Green Bay is a run funnel defense, so it's a good matchup for whichever back is on the field. And in season long, I'm going to play them both, but I don't think that the ceiling will be there for Pollard quite the way that it was prior to the bye in that game without Zeke. Damian Pierce is a guy who I think always has a ceiling. He was RB13 last week. You could say that he probably underperformed to a degree at 13.9 points, um, which is not what you're hoping for when you've got a guy who's running for 139 yards. The problem with him, he didn't have any catches. He didn't have any touchdowns against Philadelphia. That was the second most carries of the week. And on those carries, he averaged 5.1 yards per carry. The volume that he's getting is crazy. 12 running backs touched the ball last week 17 times or more, and only three of them failed to score a touchdown. Pierce was one of them, Josh Jacobs was another one, and Jamal Williams was another one. Um, so my point there is most of the guys who touched the ball that many times did 
find the end zone. And then that leads to a big blow up fantasy week. So when you've got guys like Pierce and Jacobs and Jamal Williams who are seeing exactly the kind of volume you want in fantasy and they're just not scoring so it doesn't hit, you got to stay with them. This week, Pierce has the Giants who are bottom five in explosive run rate. He's tied for sixth in explosive runs in the league. He's third in the league in missed tackles forced and has the second best PFF elusive rating. He has been one of the best running backs in the league this year. Forget rookie running backs, just all of them. And so has Josh Jacobs, who actually ranks first in missed tackles forced and elusive rating. And as I mentioned, he's obviously up there in volume. Also, his 11 points last week, way under expectation, scored in single digits the week before. I know it sounds weird to say, but when you just look at offensive efficiency per play, so expected points added both on designed runs and dropbacks, the Raiders are actually one of the better offenses in the league. So that suggests to me that there's a fluky nature to their lack of success and that it will be smart to ride it out with Jacobs, especially against a team in the kind of disarray that this week's opponent is in. The Indianapolis Colts are who the Raiders are playing this week. According to Max Meyer from Caesars Sportsbook, the Colts have drawn the least amount of money to cover the spread of any dog in week 10. And they're playing the Raiders. So that's saying something. Uh, the other guy I mentioned is a volume guy who didn't get a touchdown last week was Jamal Williams. His 24 carries was the fourth most uh, of the week. I assume that some of that volume will be swallowed up by DeAndre Swift at some point. And by the way, Swift does not have an injury designation this week, so it could be this week. But I think you got to ride Williams' volume and goal line usage until they give us a reason not to. He is second in the league in carries inside the 10 and second in carries inside the five. Chicago is allowing the eighth most points per game to running backs, so I'm going back to Williams. Bears running backs, meanwhile, on the other side of that game, a little more volatile with fields taking up rushing duties, but the Lions' run defense is so bad, I think you got to stick with them also. Jonathan Taylor is tricky because he's been bad, but he's also been hurt, and now he's rested, and now he's playing, so maybe he has that behind him, but he's got a great matchup against the Raiders. ETN was RB3 against Las Vegas last week. Kamara <clears throat> was RB1 against the Raiders back in week eight. Las Vegas isn't actually giving up that many rushing yards or touchdowns. Where people are scoring fantasy points against them is the receiving yards to running backs. They give up more of those than any other team in the league. So if they throw to Taylor, he could have a big week. Do you trust him to do that with Ellinger? I don't know. I'm not going in this direction in daily. I think he's too expensive for the unknowns attached to him, $7,500. But for season long, I think you got to go with him this week. And can you believe that we're at the point where that is a question? Uh, further down the board, I kind of like Jeff Wilson Jr. this week at $5,500. I told you last week that I thought he could sneak into a role in Miami, and he did that right out of the gate, matched Mostert in carries, and nearly doubled him up in yards. Also threw to him three times. Uh, that was in a good matchup against the Bears, and he has another one this week against Cleveland. Browns along the fourth most fantasy points per game to running backs with 12 touchdowns allowed to the position. Jalen Warren at $4,900 will probably be a popular low-end play with Pittsburgh talking about getting him the ball more. For season long, 
I think that maybe opens him up as a playable guy in the flex spot, and it definitely hurts Najee's value. But I'm not sure they get him enough work to make him super valuable just yet, but I will be certainly keeping an eye on that distribution, as well as the Bucks who worked Rashad White in a lot more last week. I'm not moving off Leonard Fournette, though, yet because of his work in the passing game. They still targeted him seven times last week. Seattle has allowed almost as many receiving yards to running backs as they have rushing yards this season. And they're pretty good at shutting down boundary receivers. So I think there's a chance that Fournette has to be involved in their passing game. He, of course, has the third most catches for a running back on the year. At wide receiver, um, not sure I want to pay up for any wide receivers at the top. The pricing's just getting out of control. If I was going to pay up for one, it would be Hill with two of but $9,100 leads to a pretty gross looking rest of the lineup, especially since you're not getting a cut rate price for two of these days. He's the fourth most expensive quarterback on the slate. But Hill is a good play with a strong chance to be a wide receiver one this week. That said, Waddle has a good chance to be that too in this offense. He's gone over 30 points two times this year and he's $1,500 cheaper than Hill. I think I like that option better. I don't love Cup at 9,000 because of the quarterback situation. Could be playing with Wolford, Wofford, Wofford, the L is silent. Uh, Diggs might be playing with Case Keenum. Uh, don't love the matchups for Jefferson or Adams. Uh, Monterey St. Brown hasn't been great. Not a single game over 14 points since week two. He's second in targets per route run. They're trying to get him the ball, but the offense has just been so bad. I'll tell you who I really like this week, and that's Chris Olave. He's kind of lived in that low to mid-teen range most of the season, too. Just two games over 20 points. But I think he's going to be big this week in their matchup against Pittsburgh. The Steelers allowing 45 points per game to wide receivers, most in the NFL. Let me tell you what wide receivers have done against this Pittsburgh D. Gabe Davis had 171 yards and two touchdowns against them. A.J. Brown had 156 yards and three touchdowns against them. Jamar Chase had 129 yards and a touchdown against them. Nelson Aguilar had 110 yards and a touchdown. Stefan Diggs had 102 and a touch. Amari Cooper had 101 and a touch. Look, Chris Olave is a top 10 yards per route run guy in the NFL this year. He's top 10 in targets. Mike Thomas is out. Jarvis Landry is not out, breaking news. Um, that said, I still want to play Chris Olave. This is the week. I also really like Juju this week at $6,000. He's been huge for the last three weeks for Kansas City. 88 yards his low in that time. He scored at least 18 fantasy points in the last three straight, and the matchup is good against the Jaguars, allowing 34 points per game to the position. They're giving up a ton of yards after the catch. He's accumulated the fourth most of those in the NFL this year, trailing only Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, and Tyree. Kill. They're lining him up everywhere, and there is a mismatch for him in the slot this week against Jacksonville. I'll have him in a lot of my lineups. I like Amari Cooper against the Dolphins D in a homecoming game for him. He grew up a Dolphins fan, so this will be fun. Remember, this could be a Jacoby Brissett revenge game also. Uh, last time Cooper went up against Xavier Howard, who's kind of the last man standing in that cornerback room these days, he had six catches on seven targets for 
88 yards and two touchdowns. I also think Donovan Peoples-Jones is a solid play that you could probably get off the waiver wire in most leagues and who will probably net you double digits in that game. He's had double digits in all but three games this year, 50 yards or more in every game but two, and David Njoku is out for this one, so $4,300 feels like a massive bargain. Christian Kirk is priced at $5,900. He's wide receiver 10 on the season. He's had Two bad games against great defenses, Philly and Denver, had one bad game against a not-so-great defense in Houston. Other than that, though, he's been double digits every week with two 20-plus outings. This week, the matchup is great. As I talked about earlier with Lawrence, I like him very much this week, especially at that price, $5,900. Again, wide receiver 10 in fantasy scoring, wide receiver 16 on the main slate. So that's not even everybody that's factoring into that in DraftKings pricing. Godwin's not available on the main slate because he's in that early game in Munich, but I like him this week against the Seahawks, who have been very good against perimeter receivers, allowing the fewest fantasy points per game to them. But they're middle of the pack when it comes to facing slot receivers, which is where Godwin plays primarily. Uh, George Pickens, I'll be keeping an eye on him, his first game without Claypool. I'm eager to see what that means as those targets sort of open up for him. He's flashed that athleticism, and I expect big things from him down the stretch. Uh, Matt Collins is an interesting one this week and frankly moving forward because the Raiders had to put Hunter Renfro on injured reserve this week and also Darren Waller. So Mac is a guy that you can kind of pencil in there or, or check that. Take the pencil away and go ahead and write his name down in pen. He's going to be a consistent part of this offense moving forward. Uh, Speaking of Waller's IR trip, the tight end position, not great this week. Not great last week. In fact, there were only eight tight ends that scored in double digits for us in uh, week nine of the National Football League. So this week, looking at the matchups, I'm going to go ahead and pay up for Kelsey in a few of my lineups just because I know I can count on it. And I don't normally want to pay up at tight end like that. But this week, I just don't feel like there's a lot that I do feel comfortable with. Frankly, you log into DraftKings and you're going to see a lot of red at the top of the list when it comes to opponent rankings. Uh, The first greens that are going to pop up are Cole Komet and Greg Dulcich. So let's talk about them. Look, I get being intrigued by Cole Komet's tight end two finish last week, but prior to those six targets against the Dolphins, he'd seen eight targets in the last three games combined. He just doesn't get the volume in this offense that you need a tight end to get. And now that Chase Claypool has had a week to get up to speed, I think that volume's going to go his way. I don't want to chase the points here, even if the matchup is good. And by the way, so is the price. He's just $3,400. But so is Greg Dulcich. And I like this play better, largely because we don't have as great a sample size of him not being productive. Uh, He's a rookie. He's only played in three games, and he's quickly carved out a role for himself. At least 11 DraftKings points in every game. In the last one, he led the Broncos in receiving yards with 87 on five targets while playing 80% of the snaps and running route on 91% of the dropbacks. That's elite tight end usage. Plus, Tennessee is allowing the third most points to the position. A couple of other tight ends that are in good matchups, Higby versus Arizona. Dude, he was brutal last week against Tampa Bay. Big goose egg, zero points, but he has Arizona this week. Everyone eats against Arizona. They're allowing the most points per game to tight ends in the NFL. Kate Otten, he was good last week against LA, uh, should continue to be good with a game against Seattle that's allowing the second most points per game to the position. 
All right. So that'll do it for us this week. I think I need to change the name to like Fantasy 20, the Fantasy 20. It doesn't, it's not the same without the alliteration. So I'm just going to keep it the Fantasy 15 and wink, wink. You guys know it's probably going to be closer to 20. Anyway, uh, those are my favorite plays for the week. Like I said earlier, if I didn't hit on something that you have a question about, go ahead and shoot me a message on Twitter or Instagram. On Twitter, I'm Lindsay underscore Rhodes. On Instagram, I'm Lindsay Rhodes NFL. Um, We'll be back again on Monday with a recap of what happened on the weekend. Wednesday, again, another like more deep dive kind of look into a theme or a guest. And then uh, we'll be back again next Friday with another look at week 11 from a fantasy perspective. Our producer for the NFL Roadshow is Andrew Emmer. He is outstanding. And the NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoy the game. Uh, games. There are many of them. And I hope all of your fantasy teams experience great success. Uh, Don't blame me if none of these things hit. See ya! Sirius XM Podcasts.